Galatians 3 is where we'll be this morning, and uh, it's so exciting when you walk through the doors and you see the decorations for Christmas. Thank you to the crew yesterday, uh, Friday, uh, who came and uh, decorated and set up. It was, uh, it's, it's always exciting. Brings a smile to the face to see the, the lights, the trees, the wreaths, the ribbons, all of it. Celebrating the birth of our Savior. Galatians 3, and we'll read verses 19 through 22 this morning and study together God's Word. Now, because this begins with a question, uh, we realize, we recognize, we remember that Paul is talking about how the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, We are not saved, we don't live by works of the law. We're not trying to earn God's salvation, we're not trying to earn His pleasure We never could. He offers it to us freely in Jesus, and we receive it when we believe in Him. The righteous shall live by faith. And then He gave an example, a human example of covenants and contracts and testaments. And then verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe." Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the faith to believe. Thank you, Father, for your word that gives us the truth. Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit in it, God, we pray that he would continue and work through the words that we read, the words that we study this morning, for the great praise and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, here we are finally getting to the question that has been on many minds since we started this study in Galatians. What is the point of the law? We've talked about how the law of God is holy, it's just, it's good, it's useful when it's used properly. We've seen how we should love the law of God, and we've seen that His law is our delight. We've been talking about these things, but we've also been learning that the law of God is not useful for how a person can be saved. You cannot be saved by trying to follow the law. In fact, we were memorizing verse 16 of chapter 2, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But not only that, we've seen that when the law of God comes into the picture, we die to the law, chapter 2, verse 19. We understand, according to chapter 3, verse 10, that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And Jesus had to become a curse to redeem us from that curse that we were under. Verse 11 of chapter 3 said that no one is justified before God by the law. Verse 12 told us that the law is not of faith. And verse 18 made it clear that the inheritance does not come by law but by promise. So the question on everybody's mind has to be at this point, okay, if all that's true, then what in the world could the law possibly be for? How could it be so good and so bad and so harmful to us, right? 
In the minds of the Judaizers, in the minds of the Galatians reading this, in our minds, we've got to be asking these questions. What what is it for then? What good is it? What does it do? Well, let's dive in together because verses 19 to 22 teach us the answers to these questions. So let's look first at number one, the reason for the law. In verses 19 and 20, we see the reason for the law. Because of salvation, by the way, salvation, we've, we've read so much. We've heard so many different aspects of salvation so far in Galatians. We, we've heard it referred to as deliverance, chapter 1, verse 4. We've heard it as freedom in Christ, chapter 2, verse 4. We've, we've learned about it as our justification in chapter 2, verse 16. We've learned about it as our redemption, chapter 3, verse 13. We've seen it as the inheritance in chapter, 18, chapter 3, verse 18. All these are synonyms, and they're all different aspects of how God has saved us and what He's done for us to save us from our sins. But if all of it comes by God's promise, His covenant, His word, why the law? Well, there are four parts to this answer. A, the first one in our notes here, verse 19, the law was brought because of transgressions. The law was brought because of transgressions. Now, verse 18 says that the law was added because of transgressions. My personal opinion, this is just my personal opinion, but that's an unfortunate translation of that word, this word added. Every English translation says this word, but it's not the same word. Remember, this is, and the reason I'm making a big deal out of this is because chapter 3, verse 15, just a couple of weeks ago, we were there, and we were learning that nobody adds to a covenant once it's been made, right? Once it's been ratified, you don't just go changing it or annulling it or adding it. So, thankfully, Paul didn't use the same word for add in verse 15 as he does here in verse 19. The word in verse 15 is I won't try to give it to you. It's a really big compound word in the Greek, and it means to add something new or additional. It's really a technical word. You're adding something to a covenant. It's used nowhere nowhere else in the New Testament. But this word here in verse 19 doesn't imply that God went back and added something to the covenant. This is also a compound word, but it means to place near, to place alongside of. So it doesn't mean that the law was added to the covenant. It was added next to it as something separate but necessary. So, so the covenant has not been changed. Remember, it was a unilateral covenant from God to Abraham. And there was no conditions. There was no, you have to do this, Abraham, and then I'll do that. It was, it was a unilateral covenant. But the law was laid beside it for a specific purpose. What was that? Paul says, because of transgressions. What does that mean? A transgression means going over, going beyond. It means violating God's law. The idea here is that mankind, ever since the fall in Genesis 3, was going beyond God's boundaries. Man has been sinning and sinning and sinning even more since Genesis 3. And the law came to reveal that to us. That's the idea here. Now, it's not like mankind didn't know there was such a thing as sin or that there was a good and a bad, a right from a wrong. Romans 2.15 says that the, the work, the, the law of God is, is written on our hearts. Mankind has an idea from conscience and from creation that there's a good and a bad. There's a right and a wrong. There's going to be a judgment one day. Mankind understood sin in a general sense. Remember in Genesis 6.5, remember what God said about them, about mankind. It, it says the law, uh, the, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was before the law came. Mankind had a very clear understanding of right and wrong, good and bad, wickedness, evil, uh, and they were held accountable for that. And, And God rightly judged mankind in the flood. But the specifics about God's law was not known clearly by everybody, and that's what Romans 5.13 says, where Paul says, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So although mankind knew there was a God, that He's glorious and He's good and He's powerful, they rejected Him, despite all that they did have, all that they did know, and then Romans says that they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's why there's no excuse for any person. Whether we hear the law of God or not, we have enough in creation, enough in our conscience to understand there is a right and wrong and God will judge. But even though mankind knew there was such a thing as sin and and mankind was very familiar with what that meant, there wasn't enough, again, in conscience and creation to understand completely that's why the law was given. It was to reveal sin as sin, as transgression, as breaking God's law, going beyond His boundaries, going farther, not going far enough. Sin is, we've learned about in 1 John 3, 4, lawlessness, right? God, we learned in Genesis 1 and 2 that God is the one who sets the laws. He's the one who sets creation. He sets the order, and mankind is the one who comes along and tries to break all of that order and and breaks His law and transgresses His law. So mankind was not only breaking conscience and creation, God was, mankind was breaking God's law. And, and, and it was breaking it without even knowing it, so the law was given so that we would know, so that we would understand. And that's what this means here in Galatians, that the law was given because of transgressions. Now, we keep referring to Romans because Romans is so similar to Galatians, and it expands a little bit more on what we learn. Here's what else Romans says about, about the law and about how it helps us understand sin. In Romans 3.20, the law reveals sin. That's what we've been talking about. But also in Romans chapter 7, the law provokes sin. Romans 7, 7 and 8, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, this is, this is Romans 7, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So God said, don't do that. And what did we do? Exactly what God said, don't do, right? That's exactly the, the, the direction that we headed in. So, so the law reveals sin, it provokes sin, it multiplies sin. Again, from Romans 7, verse 13, sin was producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. It says the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Romans 5.20 echoes that, that the law came to increase the trespass. Okay, so the law showed us sin as sin, but not just that. It didn't just show us God's laws so that we could understand we're sinning more than we thought. It was to show us how awful, how terrible, how disgusting sin is to God how rebellious it is. You know, we can think of sin as something that's harmful to ourselves, right? And we hear that a lot of times um, from other people, like, well, sin is bad because it harms you, because it has bad effects on yourself, right? And and we understand that that's true, it does. We can think of sin as being um, impactful on other people, that affects the people around us. And so sometimes you get that pragmatic thought, like, well, it's not that bad because I'm not hurting anybody else, 
right? We get, we get that idea that, well, my sin's not impacting anybody else. When, in fact, sin does spread and it does impact the people around us a whole lot more than we could ever understand. But what God did when he sent the law was more than all of that that we can see is that it revealed to us that sin is actually outright hatred and rebellion against God. It's not just that it harms me, and it's not just that it impacts the people around me. It's that it's a direct offense against God. That's the problem with sin. That's the real issue that the law reveals to us. It doesn't make us sinful. We already are, but it shows us. It holds up the magnifying glass so we can see it for what it really is. Because it hides out as things like that are just not that bad. And it just isn't, it doesn't seem to be so terrible. <laughs> I, I did look up a, an example of this, and I'm not sure how willing you will be to hear it. <laughs> uh, but just abbreviating what I had found, if you look at your pillowcase, and you hold up a magnifying glass to this nice, comfortable pillowcase, we, we won't go into it. Just wash your pillowcases, wash your sheets. Um, It's all there. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it or not, it's there. And so we've got to take care of it. We can't take care of it through the law. We can't take care of it by trying harder, by doing more. So the law shows us how deep sin goes. It shows us how wide it has spread. And every time a person tries to follow the law of God, they discover they can't. We can't. We mess it up. Maybe I can do a little bit over here for just a few minutes and I'm leaving away everything else that God said to do, but I can concentrate on a couple of things here and there, but I've left the rest of it and then I mess up on the stuff that I was trying really hard to do. We just can't follow God's law. It shows how deeply and how widely we fall short. So it's a real problem. So this is the reason for the law here in Galatians. It's also a reason that the law is inferior to God's covenant. The law comes and it shows us sin and it kills. God's covenant brings life. God's covenant will bring life that the law could never do. In fact, the law does not bring any benefit on its own. Okay, there is a benefit to the law and we'll we'll be seeing it. But on its own, it, it shows us sin. So the law was brought because of transgressions, but there's more here that explains the law. Let's look at B in verse 19. The law was bound in time. The law was bound in time. So if if that was a bunch of bad news before, here's some good news. (laughs) The law was brought because of transgressions for how long? Verse 19 says, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. That means it was temporary. It was there in place until this happened. The law remains in effect until it's fulfilled. And as we've seen, who is the fulfiller of the law? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not to say that when Jesus came, the law was just thrown out, that it was disposed of. In fact, there are uh, ancient Jewish teachers who taught this. There would be different epochs in history, different epochs, right? And there would be one with the law, and then the Messiah would come, and then the law would just be thrown out. And that's not what is happening here. The law is still here. It's still in effect and yet it's been fulfilled in Jesus. So we say, well, how do we make sense of that then? We're all born under the law. It is still in effect on all people. But since Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, when we come to him, we're transferred from being under the law to being under Christ who has fulfilled it for us. Look look down at verse 29 here in Galatians 3. 
And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You're no longer under the law when you're under Christ. When you're in Christ, you're no longer under the law. You're in him. And you become an heir according to promise. Brothers and sisters, how exciting is that? How encouraging is that that we're not under the law anymore? We're no longer under the curse anymore, the curse of the law, or the death that comes from the law. We're in the covenant through faith. And we talk about how this is, salvation is an inner transformation. That is true. But it's also a complete change in the state of our existence from darkness under the curse to the light in the covenant, the blessing of God's love in the covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what Colossians 1 is explaining to us. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, which is where we were under the law, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a blessing. So the purpose of the law is because of transgressions to reveal them to us until we come to Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the covenant, the promise of God. As we said, the law is inferior to the covenant because it only brings curse, it only brings death, but the law is also weaker than the covenant because it's bound in time. It's only on us. It only rules over us for a time until we come to Jesus. There's more about the law that Paul explains. See, the law came by way of mediators, verses 19 and 20. The law came by way of mediators. Verse 19 says it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So God had the law. He gave it to angels. The angels gave it to to an intermediary, specifically Moses. And then he gave it to mankind, Israel right? From God through angels, through Moses to Israel, and finally to the rest of the world. But how did the covenant come? In Genesis 12, 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. God spoke directly to Abram. It was the Lord who said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God spoke directly to Abram. And then when he changed his name to Abraham. The covenant came from God himself to Abram, Abraham himself. No, no meteorities, no angels involved. But it says here that God used angels to bring the law. And Stephen, as he was about to be stoned in Acts seven fifty three, rehearsed the whole history of Israel to the Jewish leaders, and he said them, as he was calling them to repentance, he, he pointed to the same thing. He said, you who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. Hebrews 2, 2 also references the law coming through angels to man, and it proved reliable. And you, rem- you remember in Exodus 20, when, when the people were there at Mount Sinai, and, and the, the mountain was covered with the clouds and darkness and lightning and thunder, and the people said, you know what, Moses, tell you what, <laughs> you go up there and talk to God, we'll stay here, because we're afraid that we're just going to be burned up, right? We're, gonna, we're just going to be uh, eliminated if we try to talk to God. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. So they wanted that in place. See, for Jewish people, there was a high premium on angels and the law. So this would have had really good, really great significance on them. Now, they were impressed by the idea of angels being involved. But listen, so would we be if we ever encountered an angel. <laughs> 
Because every time somebody encountered an angel in Scripture, not when they came as just a human being, you know, when they, when they showed up as like a, a man or, or you know, people said, oh, there's a man there and then something miraculous would happen and oh my goodness, I've just figured this out. But when they came on their regular, their regular manifestation, the appearance that they have because of the glory of God that they're nearby all of the time, when they come that way, people fall on their face. They go, what is this? We can't handle this. So any of us really would have been impressed by the law coming through angels from God to us. Remember back to Galatians 1.8 and the warning that Paul gave. He said, if, if anybody comes to you, even an angel comes to you and brings you a different message, let him be cursed. Even something as powerful as an angel. Um, angels carry messages from God. That's what they did. That's their responsibility. True angels carry messengers, <laughs> messages from God. There are other angels out there, demons, who carry messages from elsewhere, especially Satan. But the idea here is that this message from God is more important than the messenger. And that holds true today as well. Right now as we're speaking, the message is a whole lot more important than just the messenger. Now, this is not a put-down, brothers and sisters, to say that God's law came to us by intermediaries, that it came from God to angels to Moses to Israel to us. It's not a bad thing. In fact, uh, we love the book of Revelation. There is a specific blessing given for those who read it and hear it and obey it, right? Given right at the beginning. But this is how Revelation came to us as well, through intermediaries. Revelation 1.1 said that it was God the Father who gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John to give to us. Okay, so this, this isn't a, a put down. It's not a bad thing. It's not an insult to the law of God that it came through intermediaries to us. But compared to the covenant of God, the law is lesser because the covenant came directly from God to man, to Abram. You know, and that, that's, that's how precious this was. It was so precious and so important to the heart of God that he gave it to man directly himself. And he, and he gave it to him in the prophecy, in covenant, in promise, and then he fulfilled it himself also. Later on, as we celebrate this time of year, Jesus, as God becoming man, coming to save us not relying on somebody else to do it. He personally saved us. And so God the Father, before time began, looks and elects. And then God the, God the Son comes down and redeems those of us who are lost in our sin. And then the Holy Spirit convicts and regenerates. God himself is involved with every part of how we come to salvation in this great God through Jesus Christ. The law couldn't do any of that. The law could never do any of that. It can only condemn. It can only kill. And it's limited by time. And it comes through intermediaries. But finally, D, the law. This is the last point here under what is the, the, what's this law all about? In D, verse 20, the law brings dependence on mankind. The law brings dependence on mankind. This verse, verse 20, let's read this verse again. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. The verse has caused so much confusion for so many people for so many years, but it seems simple enough to understand. 
By the way, um, it's rarely ever the mark of maturity in the, in the faith to see how complex and complicated you can make something, right? That, that's really not uh, how the Lord reveals His Word. Usually, the simplest explanation is the one that the Lord intended. And so, the, this intermediary implies more than one. That's the, the English versions trying to translate, trying to help out the translation a little bit. Here's the more formal wooden translation, if you will. The verse says, now the mediator is not of one, but God is one. And so the simple explanation for this is that, look, if there's a mediator, well, that implies that there's more than one, right? There are two people involved plus the mediator. You've got two parties, one on each side, and and the mediator that goes between them. And that refers back to that previous sentence, the law came through intermediaries. But God is one. That means, uh, that's referring to God as one who's giving the covenant, as we've talked about, the unilateral covenant on his own, directly from him to man, so that the law is between God on one side and man on the other, and both have responsibilities, not equally, not equally, by the way, but there are responsibilities for both. But the covenant, as we saw, was and is only ever dependent on God. God is one. And his covenant came by his oath based on himself. There's no mediary needed or involved. So the word of God stands. Especially his promise and his covenant in his word. It's all on God in the covenant. The law is dependent on God on one side and man on the other. And can you imagine if there was something that was dependent on us that was going to be for eternity? (laughs) If our salvation depended on us to make it happen, if, if, if we were involved in that, because we already know that God is reliable, God always comes through, He is always faithful, but mankind, totally unreliable. We can't trust that, but that's the basis of the law. When the people of Israel received the law, they were told to keep the law so they could keep the land. Now, it didn't replace the covenant. It didn't add to the covenant. God promised them the law. God said, irrespective of anything that happens, God is going to give the law to Israel. But afterwards, so that they could stay in the land and prosper as as this way of teaching, remember the law came to show us transgressions, they needed to keep the law, and they were warned that if they did not, they would be exiled from the land. And so God warned them repeatedly over and over, sending prophets over and over, repent, follow the law, love the Lord, do these things that you said that you would do. And 2 Chronicles 36 explains as it happened But the people did not. They did not obey. They did not accept. They rejected God's word. They they broke the covenant. They were exiled from the land. It was because they did not obey the commandments and the law. But listen, this is important. God didn't destroy the land. And God didn't destroy Israel. Both still exist. And if you look at the Old Testament and you see all of these different people groups the Amorites and the Hittites and the the Jebusites and all these people groups. Where are these other people groups? But God has preserved his people, Israel. God's covenant still stands. He has not, Israel never had all of the land that God promised them that they would have. And they've not held on to it as he said that they would. That will all still happen because God said so. (laughs) 
and we believe God's covenants. His covenants stand firm, and because we believe in His covenants, we believe in His covenant that He's going to save us, that He will bring us home to be with Him forever. But if we can't believe the covenants that He gave to Israel, what hope do we have in the covenant that we're holding to, that He would save us? So the law does not break God's covenant. It was that specific purpose to show Israel, look, you have all of these benefits. You have all of the law. You've got the temple. You've got everything. And you still can't keep the law because of transgression. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't work your way there. Now, again, here's some good news. We're jumping ahead a little bit here. But this is why Jesus became a man. This is why it's so important that we celebrate this, this Christmas, the, this incarnation of God as a human being. He became one of us so that he, could con- that he could fulfill the law that we could never fulfill. If it were up to me to fulfill it, I would never fulfill it. And my forever would be in punishment in hell paying for every one of my sins because I can't fulfill the law of God. But Jesus fulfilled it for us. What a blessing. This is the reason for the law, our transgressions, our sins. But what good is it? What's the use and the purpose of it? I mean, you know, it seems like the law gets in the way of the covenant. I mean, God said, I promise this, I'm going to do this, and then, and then the law comes and says, but you don't get to it because you're sinful. <laughs> it seems like it gets in the way, it disrupts it. So how does this law help the covenant of God? Are they at odds? That's what Paul anticipates that's the question he anticipates and then he answers for us. So number two, let's look here at verses 21 and 22 and to find out the purpose of the law. Before it was the reason, now here's the purpose. So in verse 21, he says, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Certainly not, he says. Is there tension between his promises and, and the law? No way. Let it, let it not be. The word there is... is that doesn't even exist. <laughs> May that never even exist. That, that's not a reality. Why not? Well, there are two reasons. A, the law was never intended to give life, verse 21. The law was never intended to give life. God's covenant with Abraham, remember what the, the covenant was, the promise was to Abraham, I will give you offspring, and many, many, many offspring. And, and you'll have more than the stars and more than the sand. And, and of course, one offspring in particular, as, as, we looked about, as we looked at last week. God brought that all about. Just as it is in Genesis 1 and 2, His Word brings about life. His Word brings about life in His promises and His covenants. But His law was not given to compete with that. Now, both the covenant and the law come from God, right? I mean, it's all the word of God. He's not going to contradict himself. He's not going to fight against himself, right? The the law didn't come as a way to give life. He didn't intend for it ever to. If he gave the law, if he gave the law to us as a way of life, then righteousness, Paul says, would be uh, indeed by the law. You could make it happen. We talked about just a, just a minute ago. If, if that's the way it is, then law is dependent on man. It's dependent on me. If you can fulfill it, you can earn it if life comes through the law. But it doesn't, does it? We've seen that the law brings death. It brings the curse. It kills us. There's no law that makes you come to life. Can you imagine a law being passed? It's illegal to die. There is a town in northern Norway where it is illegal to die. 
and to be buried there. It, it's illegal. If you're going to die, if you're going to be sick and you're going to, it looks like you're not going to be very long, if you're going to go into hospice, you leave that part of Norway because the, the ground is so cold, the bodies don't decompose there. And so they found, literally, they, they found uh, traces of the 1918 flu epidemic still alive. Well, the flu, the, the virus is not technically alive, but it's still active in those bodies. And, and so it's illegal to die there. If you're going to die, get out. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cruel, but that's what they're looking at there. That's the reality there. There are laws about where to die, but there's no law that makes you come to life. There's no law that demands, hey, if you're dead, come back to life. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work. Even God's law doesn't bring life. His word does in the covenant. His word brings us new life so that we're regenerated, we're recreated, made all over again by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So if, if the law didn't come as a way to give life, what did it do? B, verse 22, the law was necessary to extend the promise. The law was necessary so that the promise could be given to us. That's what verse 22 says. The, the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. And this is why we've been so careful to, to understand that the law, as harmful as it is to us, as, as bad as it is in our perspective, it's still the Word of God. It's still good and pure and perfect. It's Scripture. Even though it came because of our sin and, and it's limited in time and it came indirectly and, and it's partly dependent on us, all of those things, it's still God's word, it's still scripture. But look at what this scripture did. It imprisoned everything under sin when the law came. And when we understand the law now, as, as we come face to face with the law of God, we see clearly as God sees. And you have a collection of Old Testament verses that, that reveal in the Old Testament. This isn't just a New Testament idea, but the collection of verses there that, that explain to us our sinfulness to show that to us. Uh, Psalm 143.2 says, no one living is righteous before you. Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, O Lord, could mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right? The, the curse that's pronounced in Deuteronomy 27, uh, the heart that is sick, it's, it's desperately sick, it's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can understand it? We, we referred to Genesis 6 earlier, um, after the flood, after the flood happened and God looks at mankind, he sees the same thing in Genesis 8, and you have that in your notes. And you have Romans chapter 3, just a, a collection of Old Testament verses that explain to us the law of God that imprisons us in, in a prison that we can't break out of. See, we're, we're so good. We're really good at convincing ourselves that we're okay, that everything's all right the way we are. It's the same trap that Israel fell into. You know, when Israel looked around and they said, look, we've got the land God promised. We've got His Word. We've got the temple. We've got all of these things. We've got his word. We are good. We're fine. But they were not fine. Because despite having all of that, they still sinned and they suffered the penalty for it. We can do the same thing here in the church. We can convince ourselves, look at all that we have. We have a Christian nation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of, the, one of the blessings of God that even though that, that, that God's showing that to us, this is not a nation that is even trying to honor the Lord. But we have blessings from God. We have freedoms. We have His Word. We've got the church. We've got all of these wonderful things. We're just fine. We can convince ourselves, just like Israel did. 
But we as a people, as, as human beings, are far from fine. It's the law that reveals that to us, that we're in prison under sin. We can't get out, but we're used to it. You know, without Jesus and we're living under the law and we're living in darkness, we think the darkness is light. We get so used to corruption, we expect it and then we accept it. We get so accustomed to lies, we don't even know that we should be looking for the truth. That's why Jesus had to reveal to the church in Laodicea that they were wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3.17, because they were convinced that they were rich and they prospered and they had need of nothing. They were totally, completely opposite in reality. But we're imprisoned under sin. And, and the scripture in the law did that. He said, why would he do that to us? Why would God give his scripture in the law that would imprison us? Because it was the truth that we needed to know. Why? Here's the key. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You can't fix it. You can't break out. You can't make yourself get out of the darkness and go to the light. You can't figure it out yourself. It's by faith. It's to show us that those who believe that the promise will be given. It can't be earned. The promise of God can be extended to us to get us out of the prison of sin and darkness and to deliver us by faith in Jesus Christ. We had to be told that we were sinful because we would never have known better. We had, to, we had to be told how sinful we were and are in depth and in breadth. It had to be revealed to us so that instead of trying to fix it ourselves, we would see how far gone we were so that all we could do was believe in Jesus Christ and cry out for God's mercy. That's how the covenant is extended to us. So the law itself, when it comes, it brings curse, it brings death, it brings hard things, it brings difficulty, it, it brings humility to us. But then that's where it ushers in the grace of God through the covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. Because we can't fix it. He can. Our works in trying to fulfill the law is not how we receive God's grace. You know, if you were going to play softball and you were going to try to catch God's grace, you wouldn't use a paddle <laughs> or the bat, right? That's not how you receive the, <laughs> the grace of God. You don't receive by using the bat. Use the glove. The glove is faith, <laughs> Our faith is a glove that receives it. Our works are the bat that swats away the grace of God in our salvation. The law is not the cure. The law is the x-ray that shows us why we need the cure. The x-ray shows us if a bone is broken and where and how bad. And so when we use the law the way it's supposed to be used, we see that all of our bones are broken. <laughs> And not just broken so that they just need a little tweak, a little adjustment. Our bones are all shattered. There is no hope for us. There's nothing that could be done for us. And so we simply cry out to God, Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so we ask God and we cry out for mercy to him. And then he saves. As we've seen in Galatians, he delivers, he justifies, he redeems, he gives us freedom in Christ. He gives us the inheritance. And then we say, Romans 7, 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law wasn't added to the covenant. It, it was set alongside the covenant. It didn't come to replace the covenant. It serves the covenant so that we can be made part of the covenant when we receive God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
The only way to be in the covenant is through faith in this Savior. And we would never have done it if we could do it ourselves through our works. We, we would never have been part of it. We never would have cried out to Him if it weren't for the law that showed us why we needed to cry out for Him and why we still do. So our application, and what we are going to take from these verses is that we need to continually use the law properly. 1 Timothy 1.8 is where, where we learned that again. Remember the, that the law is good if one uses it properly. Continually use the law properly to reveal sin to us. Why? In order to increase our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, our love for Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is how we use the law properly. It's, it's to see the holiness of God, to see the perfect purity of God, to see how far short I fall, but how much grace there is to have the, those sins forgiven so that I can be forgiven and I can be changed and transformed by His love. Father, what a, what a joy and a blessing this is, God. Lord, to learn after learning the, the difficulty, the, the hard things, Lord, that we are sinners. Lord, the, this offensive message that's a stumbling block, Lord, that, that I've got to humble myself before you as a mere human being, limited in my physical being, Lord, limited in my mind and my abilities, Lord, worse to be found sinful before the holy God. Lord, this is a difficult message, Lord. It's a message that does not want to be heard in the world today, God. Lord, it's never been popular. It's never been something that the world wants to hear. But Lord, so many today are redefining what sin is, Lord. God, increasing transgressions, increasing iniquity, Father, justifying it and, and trying to make it normal, Father, and, and trying to celebrate it as if it's good, Lord of God, I pray that you would show us your law so that we would see that what's bad is bad and what's good is good and you are all good, Father. Lord, in you is purity and perfection and goodness. Lord, in you is, there, is no imperfection. There's no change, Father. You are always and always have been perfect. But God, we are in sin on our own. Lord, in our own flesh, we have sin, and your law reveals that to us. God, I pray that for each person who can hear, who is here or who is watching and listening online, Father, God, that you would reveal your law to us so that we can see our sin. We can see your holiness. And Father, we would cry out to you for mercy because, God, you are the God of mercy, the God of all comfort. Father, you bring forgiveness and you bring restoration, reconciliation. God, you redeem us. You justify us when we believe through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that for every person here. Lord, for those around us who don't know and have never heard, God, I pray that you would give us a boldness, Lord. Give us the words to say, the love, Lord, to motivate us to tell them the truth, God that we would not try to beat them up, that we would not try to force policies and laws, but God, that we would share the gospel so that hearts and minds would be changed by you. God, that you'd be glorified. Father, help us to teach this to ourselves continually or to see and understand your law, to see how good you are and how sinful we are, but how great Jesus is. 
Father, thank you especially for this time of year. Lord, help us not to get distracted by the things in this world, but that we would focus on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our salvation. In his name we pray, amen.